Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. We're in a a series where we're uh, examining the Christmas narrative, like the nativity and all of that, through the lens of 1 Corinthians 13. You might be familiar with 1 Corinthians 13. It's often called the love chapter. It's where the Apostle Paul kind of described what it means to love. It's a beautiful chapter if you've not heard it or familiar with it, but we're gonna unpack that a section at a time going through the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and as it relates to the nativity or to the birth of Jesus. And Pastor David was so eager and ready to go for today um, that he said he wants to preach the message he was going to preach today next Sunday. And so I'm jumping ahead. I'm gonna do verses four through the beginning of verse eight. And then he'll start again in the beginning part of the chapter on next Sunday. But it really doesn't matter. Just be here next Sunday and hear him and you'll love what he has to say. Today we're gonna be in 1 Corinthians 13 verses four through the beginning of verse uh, eight. So like uh, Christmas time uh, takes our minds to Bethlehem. I don't know about you, but I was at a kid's Christmas program this week and they had a picture of Bethlehem. This starry night kind of picture of what Bethlehem might have looked like uh, in the day of Jesus, but not so much. Uh, This looks like a nice, loving, peaceful kind of place, but it had nothing like what it was when Jesus was born. And guess what? It's nothing like what it is today either. In fact, today Bethlehem is in Palestinian controlled part of Israel. And so uh, there's big wall around it, the whole city separating it from Jerusalem. And, and you gotta go through a big gate to get through there and sometimes Christians and Jews aren't allowed in there and sometimes they are allowed in there. It's kind of complicated. And, and when you do get in and then you go to the church of the nativity, I've been there many times, it doesn't look anything like this and it doesn't look anything like what's in our mind's eye because they've built big church on there and the church is actually shared between the Armenian church and the Greek Orthodox church and the Catholic church and they share this, this basilica together. Now we're all part of the same family and we can't share. Imagine three different religions all trying to share the same building. It's a mess. There's not peace, there's not love, there's a lot of anger. In fact, a few years ago, after the Christmas Eve celebration, some of the priests or monks there were cleaning up and they got mad at each other and started, in fact, I've been there when they're yelling at each other and it's weird. I don't know what, what they're saying because I can't understand the language, but they're pretty intense with each other. <laughs> and on this particular Christmas Eve, they got so mad, they started throwing brooms at each other and called the police and made a YouTube video of the monks at the church in the nativity fighting on Christmas Eve. That's what Christmas Eve is like for most people. <laughs> like maybe you're not throwing brooms, There's a lot of fighting going on. It's not a lot of love going on. And Christmas season isn't supposed to be stressful and aggravating. That's not what the Christmas season is all about. The Christmas season is the greatest. The reason the Christmas season is the greatest is because Jesus is the greatest 
And love is the greatest, is what Paul said in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. And that's what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus and it's about love. At Christmas, we should all experience the love that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13. That is what we should be experiencing. In the birth of Jesus, we should experience love because God became human. It's probably the greatest act of love ever is that God became human. He became one of us. It's what I call the sweetness of love. Like this move that he made for God to become man. Another place that Paul wrote to a church in a town called Colossae, he was talking to them about who, God, who Jesus is and he said this, for in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. What he's saying is that Jesus is God. So when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, God became human. And can I remind you? He didn't do that because we were good enough. He didn't do it because we earned it. He did it because he's good, not because we're good. He did it because he loved us, not because we loved him. God demonstrated his love for us when he became human. Sometimes we get confused with the characters and we think God is making a list and checking it twice and gonna find out who's naughty and nice. That is not God. He already knows we're naughty and not nice. It's the way we were born in brokenness and sin, every one of us. And it's his love for us in spite of that that caused him to say, I'm gonna be human. John 3.16, probably the most famous verse ever, arguably, it tells us what God's motivation was. It says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. I think sometimes we think God became human because he was frustrated with us, because he's impatient with us. I could understand God getting impatient and frustrated with me. I know me. But that's not why he became human. God loved us. He wasn't motivated by frustration or impatience or he wasn't trying to prove himself. He wasn't trying to show his power. He wasn't trying to prove he's right or make a point. None of that. He was trying to show how much he loved us. He became human and it's what motivated God to become human. Let's, let's look at the act of God becoming human through the lens of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verses four through the beginning of verse eight and here's what it would be. This is God, God is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. That's God's kind of love. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Our God is not irritable or resentful. His love does not 
Uh, rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never ends. That's the love that God has for us, and that's why he became human, because of this. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's hard for me to overcome the, what I call the naughty and nice mentality that I'm just always thinking, is he okay with me? And have I done okay? And does he still love me? Have I, have I done so much that he just has run out of love for me and he's, he just can't put up with it anymore? I don't know, maybe today you're, you're what I call kicking the tires. You're new, haven't been here long, or you're asking questions about God. By the way, if you are asking and searching, you've come to the right place. It's a safe place to come and inquire and ask. Maybe, you, maybe you're one of the explorers here today or maybe you're watching today. You're just asking questions and exploring. And I know sometimes if you're in that category, you can, you can kind of convince yourself that there's no way God could love me. God doesn't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. You don't know how dirty on the inside, how hateful I've been or mean I've been or whatever it is. You don't know the grudges I'm holding. It doesn't matter. You're right, I don't know. God knows and loves you anyway. A few weeks ago, I, was, I had coffee with somebody that's come new to our church. He's probably been here two or three months and I met him one Sunday and we met over at the cafe and having coffee and just said, hey, so tell me a little bit about yourself and your history and journey. And he began to do that. And at some point in the conversation, I just said, so tell me about your, your spiritual life, like your journey with God. Where are you in your journey with God? And when I asked that question, he was just, he just got emotional. He put his head down and he started crying. He said, I don't think God can forgive me. He told me a story about being in the military. He didn't give me any details, but he said, I've said and done things that I don't think God can ever forgive. <laughs> I said, you have no idea, man. It doesn't matter. God's love is so great, you can't outdo God's love. His love is so deep, you can't go deep enough. His love is so wide, you can't get outside of it. God loves you with an everlasting love, and he proved it when he became a man. God loves you. Don't you ever forget it. If you are searching and asking, I just wanna assure you, God loves you. It's his love that draws you. And today, your, his love is drawing you. And sometimes for us, I've been a follower of Jesus for a long time. And sometimes for those of us that have been following Jesus for a long time, the danger isn't that we'll think God can't love us, but the danger is that sometimes we begin to think that God should love us. We've somehow, we've forgotten a little bit about where we came from. We've forgotten who we were. As followers of Jesus, we should never forget who we were before Jesus. And we, we did not deserve, God didn't love us because we were good enough. We, he loved us, let me remind you, because he's good, not because we're good. His love is everlasting. Let me remind you, let me remind you like I remind myself. 
who we were in Titus, which was a letter that Paul wrote to a fellow pastor. He says this, for we ourselves, this is the Apostle Paul talking about himself and a fellow pastor and you and me. Here's what he says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Sounds like us, doesn't it? And then, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us not because of works done by us, but because of His great love for us. So today, if you're, if you're new, don't think God can't forgive you. Don't think God's love is not rich enough and deep enough and wide enough for you. It is. And if you're a long-timer like me, let's make sure we're not thinking that God loves us because we're good enough. We once were something else. And God, in his mercy and magnificent love for us, he became human. And no matter what we are, no matter what we were, we can never outrun his love for us. Romans 8 says it this way, for I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. God became human, and it demonstrated 1 Corinthians' love for us. It's kind of cheesy, I know, but it's cheesy until you become a granddad. I have eight grandkids, and I love getting in front of my grandkids. Face to face, look me in the eye. Do you know how much Daddy D loves you? And they do know the answer, but they play along with me. How much, Daddy D? I love you here, from here to the moon and back. That's how far. That's how much. It's something they can't even imagine, like all the way to the moon and back. That's how much Daddy D loves you. And today, some of you are asking God, how much do you love me? And it's even more than that. Your heavenly Father loves you so much that he became human for us, for you, so you could experience his love. But it's not only that God became human, it's also that love became human. You see, when Jesus became human, it was love becoming human. Let me remind you, 1 John 4, 8 says this, Anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. So God became a man and God is love. So love became a man. When love became a man, that was Jesus teaching us, showing us what it's like to love. What does it look like when love is alive? When he's walking and breathing and talking and Jesus showed us how to love, like how can we love? And here is the way 
that I want us to see this passage. It's the same passage, 1 Corinthians 13. But Jesus, because Jesus is love, is in the passage. And I'm going to read it for us. Here's what it is. Jesus is patient and kind. Wow. Jesus does not envy or boast. He is not arrogant or rude. Jesus doesn't insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Jesus never ends. You wanna know who Jesus is? This is who Jesus is. This is what it's like, and Jesus lived this in a way that we could, we could experience it. We could actually see it. You know, Jesus showed us how to love in various ways. One way was in the way that he left heaven. The way that Jesus stepped from heaven into our world, he demonstrated love. Like in the passage there, it says love doesn't seek its own way. And Jesus, Philippians 2, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus emptied himself. He knew that equality with God wasn't something to be understood by men. And so he emptied himself and became man. He demonstrated what it's like to love in the way that he left heaven, became human. He also demonstrated in the way that he loved here. Throughout the Gospels, we read the encounters that Jesus had with people. And he was loving in every encounter that he had. He was patient and kind, tender-hearted and loving. There was a day where there was a woman who was caught in adultery and all the men brought her and they all had rocks in their hands and preparing to stone her because that was the appropriate penalty for somebody who was caught in adultery. And they, they were trying to trap Jesus in the, in the midst of all of that and they tried to quiz him in a way that he would, he would blaspheme himself. And instead, Jesus kind of drew in the dirt and they weren't sure what he was saying and he made this crazy statement. He said, I'll tell you what, the first one of you who's without sin, go ahead and kill her. Throw the first stone. You be the first one. And one by one, those people just dropped the stones and walked away and she's sitting there on the ground weeping, expecting her impending death by stoning. And he says, hey, you, you have no one to condemn you. And I don't either. Go and sin no more. Changing your life. You're a new person. Everything about you is going to be different from here forward. Amen. Then there was the woman at the well, a Samaritan. He should never be talking to a Samaritan nor a woman. And she was both doubly cursed. And she comes to get water and he captures her attention and begins a conversation. And he begins to tell her things about her own life that she hadn't told him already. Like, how do you know this? And we don't know all the conversation, but we know that within the conversation, he said things that revealed to her who he was. And he said something similar to her, hey, go, sin no more. I'm changing everything about you. Or even when he talked to Zacchaeus, the tax collector who had a lot of friends, but boy, he was corrupt and cheating people. And he wanted to see Jesus and he couldn't see him. He climbed up in a tree and lots of people between Jesus and the, and the tax collector. Lots of distance. There's no way he can get there and Jesus sees him. Calls him down. 
says, I want to come to your house today. And he introduced him to a new kingdom, and it changed everything about Zacchaeus. And that's the way Jesus interacted, the way he lived and the way he loved and the way he interacted with people. He showed us how to love, 1 Corinthians love. Like this is the way we act, the way Jesus did. In every situation, in every interaction, even when Jesus was trying to be tricked, the, the guy, the scribe who asked him the question about who's your neighbor and the, the rich man who says, I've done, I've kept up with all the law and who's trying to outdo Jesus like I'm even better than you. Even with all of them, Jesus demonstrated love. He demonstrated love in the way he left heaven. He demonstrated love in the way he loved here. But probably mostly, he demonstrated love in the way he left here. The way Jesus died. The night before he died, he gathered the people who were closest to him, the 12, and he shared a supper with them, the Passover meal. And in that meal, before they started eating, he actually took time to wash their feet and demonstrate great humility and concern for these men. It would have been embarrassing and awkward for them for him to do that. That wasn't something that a man was supposed to do, and it wasn't something somebody respected is supposed to do. That's something the help is supposed to do. Like, why are you doing that? This is beneath you, Jesus. Like, you're more important than this. You're, you're getting ready to be king. Don't, don't do this. This is demeaning. As he scrubs the dust off of their feet. And then he told them something. He, he shared this supper with them and he said, I'm going to be the blood and I'm going to be the, the body. It's my blood and my body that are going to be shed. And then he said something that changed everything. He said, hey, I want you a, a new commandment I'm giving. I'm giving you a new way to live. The way you live now is you love one another not the old way, not the way you want to be loved, or not the way that you've been loved. I want you to love one another the way I love you. And then he went and he gave his life on a cruel cross for them. And he said to us, love others the way I loved you. And he gave his life for us. The way Jesus left here, he demonstrated his love, a love that is a first Corinthians love. His death and resurrection was once and for all showing us the love which we've all been searching and hoping for. And he summed it up in that. The love that doesn't exist today in Bethlehem or in most homes and lives today existed at the cross. And it's there because of God's love for us, and it's available to us today at the Christmas season only because of God's love for us. God's love for you is so deep, so wide, and so vast, and so rich that it changes everything, and it, its crowning moment was when Jesus gave himself for us, his love for us. What does love look like? I don't know about for you, but a lot of times for me, if I can see it in action, I can see, the, I can see it in a person, 
it helps me. I mean, I know I can read about it and I know that Jesus lived this way and I can read about it, but sometimes if I can see it in, in a real live person, it helps me. And when I think of the 1 Corinthians 13 passage, there's a person who comes to mind in my own life. And we had her funeral here yesterday. Her name is Barbara Price. And Barbara and her husband, Carrick, were members of our church since the mid-1960s, a long time. A lot of this building and the ideas behind it and the fact that we are on this campus and that family and Barbara and Carrick and their children had a lot to do with that because they were part of all of that original vision and what God was doing in our midst back in the 70s and 80s and 90s and early 2000s. Barbara was actually born in Winter Park and then came to our church in the mid-60s and, and they had three kids and I was friends with her older two children. I was friends with all of them, but I was around the same age as their, I was the same age as their oldest son, Rick. And then their next son was Steve. He was a year behind me. And Rick and Steve and I were pals when I was in middle school and high school here in Orlando. But Barbara was a spectacular woman. She was what most people would call the hostess with the mostest. You ever heard that? Like she could host a party like, like nobody I'd ever met before. And obviously to host a party, one of the gifts you have to have is you gotta be able to cook. And she had a secret weapon when she cooked. I don't know this, but my wife Betsy tells me this. Her secret weapon was butter. Lots and lots of butter. It's a key to Southern cooking, I'm being told. But, but I experienced the hospitality of this woman and I experienced the love that she had, the, what I would call the sweetness and the substance of love. There's a time which what, what we need is the sweetness. It's the God becoming man. And there's a time that what we need is the substance. It's the love becoming man, like let me see it. And Barbara demonstrated both of those to me on a regular basis. One of my first encounters with her food was, they invited me to, I think I was in high school, invited me, they were big Gator fans they invited me to a gator game in Gainesville and we rode up on a motor home and when you get there, they pull out the tables and stuff and chairs and they start spreading out the food. And I had something that day that was really incredible. Some uh, baked beans. You know, it goes with the fried chicken and all that kind of stuff, deviled eggs and all of those kind of things. Only that day, I ate those baked beans and they were the best baked beans I'd ever eaten. And I got home and told my mom, I mean, I know we've had baked beans before, but what I had, it looked like a baked bean, but it didn't taste like the ones that I've had. They actually tasted sweet, like sugar sweet. And I tried to describe it to my mom and she's like, well, okay, well, I buy them in a can and that's what we're gonna have. But you can go to Miss Price's house for the sweet baked beans. Well, the next time I went, a few months later, I went again. And this time when I ate them, it wasn't sweet. It was like, they were sweet still, but I tasted more substance. Like they were hearty. And I looked a little more closely. There was ground beef in the beans. And I learned that 
the beans that Barbara made, they had lots of brown sugar and lots of ground beef. Brown sugar and ground beef completely change a can of baked beans. And that's really the way Barbara was with me. There were days in my life that she was sweet, like brown sugar. One week, I preached, and this is maybe, I don't know, eight or ten years ago, I preached a message on the Good Samaritan, and at the end of the message, I told a story about me being in a pickle, in a bad situation, and a friend rescued me. And the friend who rescued me was named Steve, who happens to be Barbara's son, their middle child. And I told that story, and that Steve rescued me. He became a good Samaritan for me. And after the message, Pastor David came up and he made the statement as a response to my message, everybody needs a Steve, which is true. Everybody needs that. A week or two later, I was coming through Welcome Center B where she used to serve. And she had this for me, a little sign, everybody needs a Steve. Just a sweet little way for her. Yeah, you can applaud her. It's awesome. Her saying to me in an encouraging way, like, there's a time when it's, it's sweet. And it was probably a year or two later. I was going through a season where I was getting criticized for stuff, and I guess my patience was wearing thin. That never happens to you, but sometimes it happens to me. And I don't remember the details, but apparently I was talking to her one day and, and she heard me talking about it. And, and um, I think I was expressing a little bit of too much self-pity or sympathy for myself. And she pushed back on me. She said, Danny, don't go down that road. Don't, you're not the victim. And she just pushed on me a little bit in a way that Barbara could do. And then a couple weeks later, true to form, I'm walking through the Welcome Center. Hey, Danny, come here, I got something for you. And she had a little sign. This is one of her favorite sayings. It is what it is, but it will become what you make of it. That was her way of, it's not scripture, by the way, but it's, it is true. You know what's her way of saying? Don't play the victim. Don't be looking for sympathy. You can fix this. Get after it. It's okay if people criticize you. God's called you to do what you're supposed to do. It was substance. There's something to it. And that's the way Barbara loved me. Sometimes with sweetness and sometimes with substance. And that's the love of God. God became man. Sweetness. Woo, that's amazing. The love of God is so rich for us. And love became a man. And when love became a man, he showed us how to love. Love one another the way I have loved you. And today, some of you, Christmas for you is just a can of baked beans. Because you've not experienced the love of God that is both sweet and substantial. And I want to invite you today. It doesn't take much. You can just 
say in your heart or your spirit or say it out loud, God, I want to know your love. I want to know that love that Danny's talking about. And that can begin your spiritual journey. You can go to the lobbies, anybody with a name tag and a smile on their face, they'll be happy to talk to you about how to experience the sweet and substantial love of God. Everyone can experience that at Christmas. We don't have to experience a Bethlehem where they're throwing brooms at each other. We can experience the full and complete love of God. I want us all to receive the love of God and if we have, then to show the love of God wherever we go. I thought one of the ways we might end today is for us to put ourselves in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and for us to own it and say, we're going to be this. And so I'm gonna just invite us as a part of our benediction for us to recite this. And I invite you to stand and we're gonna, we're gonna put ourselves in 1 Corinthians. You can stand with me. And whenever we do something like this, um, I'm gonna invite you to recite this with me, read it off the screen out loud with me, but I'm not asking anybody to say something that's not true and this is kind of aspirational, it's who we want to be. None of us are perfect, none of us have arrived yet, but this is aspirational, what we want for ourselves. But if you're not comfortable saying it, don't feel pressure or awkwardness about it, but I think it's aspirational for us to want to be, this is what it means to be like Jesus. To love like Jesus is to be this. And if you're willing, just recite it with me and then I'll have a closing prayer. Let's do this together. Read along out loud with me. I am patient and kind. I do not envy or boast. I am not arrogant or rude. I do not insist on my own way. I am not irritable or resentful. I do not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoice with the truth. I bear all things. I believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. My love never ends. God, I pray today that that would be true in us, that we would love like Jesus loves. Thank you for this beautiful passage and thank you for Bethlehem and the birth of Jesus, our Savior, and his death and resurrection on our behalf. We receive that today as your demonstration of love for us. And today we take that love to distribute it to those where we know and where we live, work, and play. Help us to represent it in a way worthy of you. And thank you for Jesus. We pray all of this in his name. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you back next Sunday. Have a great week. Merry Christmas. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando Podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.